Welcome to Beer in a Movie, the podcast where we discuss two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies. Sometimes achieving outstanding pairings, and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths up here at the top of the episode. We just don't know what's about to happen. <laughs> Always across the table with me is the handsome, illustrious. Oh, thank you, Joe. Dave Gurney. And joining us yet again, one of Another my... handsome, illustrious fella. Well, you, 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 we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> it is Josh DeLeon. Josh, how have you been? Oh, great, great. Uh, perfect reason to watch both of these movies to do this episode. Good. Hey, Exciting. It's yeah. always fun when you reach out to somebody. You're like, hey, you want to talk about these films? And they actually... Yes, I do want to see those. Seen so, one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah. already seen one, and I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah. So that that was uh, it was great to hear that, and I'm excited to talk about these films. Sure, we're gonna get some beer in our glass. We're gonna talk about a movie. Then we're gonna do that all over yeah. again. I was not here last week, David, so I got to listen to last week's episode where you brought in an illustrious panel of all female guests to discuss two. Uh, female films was right. that the right way to say it? Themed films, uh, female centric. There you go. Women, women talking forward. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was I got tell you, episode. objectively listening to that, as objective as I could be, what right. a great episode and what a great after hours. I agree. The after hours was fun, and that is available publicly. Sure. I, I mentioned it on the episode. Yeah. But if anybody's listening this week and didn't get around to it, remember, even if you're not a Patreon subscriber already. Please check out that bonus episode. I think Joe's right. It was a great, it was and, really and I give myself very little credit. Joe said he's a sort of objective viewer. I feel pretty objective because I really ceded control there yeah. um, to our panel, and and I think they did a fantastic job and and talked about a lot of fun stuff. We want to do the same for you this week, folks. And so to do that, as Joe has indicated, we're going to need some beer in our glasses. And for our first film of this episode, we are going to be going to Europe. We're, we're, we're traveling to Germany, uh, the setting and, uh, and space where this film takes place, actually takes place in France, I guess, but, but it, German uh, troops and, and, uh, and shot by a German crew. And what we are going to be drinking is a German beer from a brewery that we have visited before. Joe looked this up before, um, and we had had their Oktoberfest. Mm -hmm back an episode did you say 110 yeah our very first uh all horror october episode we ever did very nice when we were doing frankenstein that's right so an appropriate german setting there we try um so so if we're back in europe we're we're, we're dealing with germany again we're going back to Polliner, and this is their salvatore this is a double bock that they make um little little description from their website they have been brewing the Salvatore for over 375 years. You got to love it when you go to these European breweries who have this like hundreds of years of history. Um, they've done it always according to the original recipe, which has been continuously refined over the years. The head is the color of caramel and the beer is chestnut brown combined with the seductive flavor of chocolate to give a pleasing intensity on the palate. Uh, along with this comes the finest Munich malt, rounded off by a light note of hops in the background, often imitated but never duplicated. The father of all double Bach beers, whose name always end in a tour. Um, so th there you go. And I'm looking, did you see the ABV on this? I thought I saw it earlier, and now I'm 
questioning myself. And oh, 7.9. So we're oh, starting out starting nice. pretty good territory here, pretty guys. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and crack this open, Joe. What's this film that I was alluding to sure. as I was setting up the beer? Well, when a German-produced film is nominated for nine Academy Awards, it only makes sense to do a German-based beer. And so good pairing, David. Thank you for doing that. This is Edward Berger. He's got a, quite an extensive filmography for a younger guy, but I have not seen any of his films, I'll be honest. Uh, All Quiet on the Western Front. It is a Netflix release. And like I say, it is one of is the last of two Oscar films that we had not done on the program. We have done all of this year's nominees, save after tonight, Elvis, which we did not get around to on the main stage. Right. However, we have both seen it. And in After Hours tonight, I want to uh, start going through Gold Derby's like the uh, the line on right. what is likely to win the Academy Award. We'll keep our mouths shut about some of our opinions about them, David. You and I get Josh's take on the 10 films that are nominated for Best Picture. Right on. Uh, uh, Patreon.com slash Beer and a Movie Podcast. But um, Edward Berger tells, uh, it's a basically a remake, I guess, of the 1930 All Quiet on the Western Front. A new Although, adaptation. Yeah, such a big gap between the two. That's the first uh, Best Picture winner. Of, that was adapted from a novel uh, that that film is. I did not know it was a novel. It was really embarrassing. I was telling Laura about the movie, and she was like, yeah, I read the novel in high school. So like, did I. Had no I, idea. I was never assigned the novel. I, I can't claim to have actually read it myself. Yeah. Um, but but I knew it was a, you know, known as like an anti-war classic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kinda, yeah. 1929 novel of the same name by German novelist Eric Maria Remarque. Um, the 1930 film was directed by Lewis Milestone and, like I said, uh, won Best Picture. Um, in the 30s, or rather, uh, what Variety wrote about the 1930 version of All Quiet on the Western Front, the League of Nations could make no better investment than to put the master than to buy the master print, reproduce it in every language for every nation to be shown every year until the world until the word war shall have been taken out of the dictionary. <laughs> uh, so a very much an anti-war film uh, produced back in 1930. Um, and I would say that this version is no different. It's set in the closing days of World War I. It follows the life of an idealistic young German soldier named Paul Baumer. After enlisting in the German army with his friends, a group of four or five buddies from school, where they are enlisted with a rah-rah, let's go get them Germany kind of... Uh, yeah, for assembly. the fatherland. Exactly. We need to, yeah. He finds himself, though, quickly exposed to the realities of war, shattering his early hopes of becoming a hero as he only does his best to survive. What's added to the movie that's not in the book is a parallel storyline of the kind of the, the road to armistice, mm-hmm. the armistice negotiations between the Germans and the French. Um, we can talk about whether... I mean. I, I read the book so long ago, and I saw the 1930s. I think I saw it in like film school, you know, or, or yeah. undergraduate in my film program. Uh, I don't remember much of it, although I remember it being a very striking movie. But um, it is uh, it shows the horrors of war. This is a film that shows the horrors of war through the eyes of this one young soldier. As spoiler podcast, all of his friends are taken yeah. in the war um, as they struggle to eat and steal food from a farmer. Um, as they go, you know, as they go from battle to battle to battle in increasingly gruesome images of, like I say, the horrors of war. Yeah, uh, 
I'd, I'd never seen the original or never read the book, but just completely bleak. Like, it goes from that, like you said, like, super rah-rah, like, propagandish, um, the cheering, the giving the speeches, and they're all, like, so bright-eyed, and then you you slowly watch them kind of descent into, like, they they know they fucked up. War is hell. <laughs> and from that point on, from when they're in the, the first truck, like, taking the ride, mm-hmm. everything's just so bleak. And, and yeah, like, like, just watching him experience all of that and all the, gr- the gruesomeness, like... Yeah. Before he and his buddies enlist, we see a battle or two, and we see the Germans, well, I guess both sides probably, get annihilated in yeah. this battle. Yeah. Then we see the aftermath of people going through and rummaging the uniforms and the uniforms going through the laundry yeah. so that when he shows up at you know the, the, the day that he's there, yeah. he's given a uniform, and we know that it was the recycled uniform of yeah. a dead soldier. He says, hey, there's a name on this already. Oh, it's probably because it was too small. That happens all the time. Take the other soldier's name on, put his name on. And there's a lot of little touches like that that show the realities behind what the young men were seeing as the grunts in in the Mm -hmm. war. A lot of of the, the horrors of the battle, the front... Yeah, where the young men are just kind of like led to like just sent for slaughter. Yeah, yeah. And then the the higher ups as they negotiate peace, or is the general in that final battle uh, does it all for ego? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of oh the juxtaposition of from where he is, yeah, sitting down eating this fancy dinner, right. feeding his dog to I them having to food. steal yeah. a goose or eggs yeah, just yeah, to survive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, total like anti capitalist and government. Right, which is something that came in with this adaptation, right? So that I th- I think that's interesting. Um, having not seen the original film adaptation from 1930, um, but hearing good, you know, obviously it won Best Picture. It's a it, it's a it's a lauded film, a praised film, um, and uh, and all that. Like knowing that it's anti-war, I think that the parallel storyline of that seeking of armistice and then also the general there what is it friedrichs uh who is sort of just you know he in his mind feels that germany should fight to the end and that they they will prevail if they can only stay the course um of course he's not been in battle himself he even laments at a certain point that like as a young man germany wasn't didn't go to war and so he never got the opportunity to and he almost seems to have a chip on his shoulder about it that's sort of driving him to do this ridiculous final uh push you know yeah. which which is going to gain them nothing other than in his mind some sort of uh symbolic victory yeah. that they went down fighting even if they you know they had negotiated a ceasefire they fought until the very last moment um you know all of that juxtaposed that these you know the um uh, what is Erzberger? I, who I don't know. I guess is he? What, what's his title? Um, the guy who's negotiating the the armistice. Uh, um, this what I'm reading here says German official. Yeah. So you know this representative of the German government and the general, contrasting their life, which is practically you know in the lap of luxury, like you said, fine dining, the the nicest furnishings, you know, comfort, mm-hmm. all that, with that trench warfare that these young kids are having to live in live in yeah. and in and, and their day-to-day it's stark i mean i i thought it was very effective yeah. i i i liked that we were going back and forth because so much of what we're seeing when we're in the trenches is the absurdity of it all like they're gaining no ground i mean yeah. 
part of the story of World War One is like, you know, the Germans advanced to where they did and then stayed there for what, five years? <laughs> they just like stayed yeah. in the same yeah. position for five years, just killing each other in huge numbers, um, but making no advance, making no actual like strategic uh, progression. And, and you see that on display, just this, what are these men fighting for? In the beginning, you could have that rah-rah speech from their headmaster or whatever, sending them off, and it's all about you know like serving the fatherland yeah. and you know bringing you to great glory Making and all your that. Father proud, and it sounds yeah. great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but when you see the reality of it, yeah. it quickly reveals itself to be this absurd kind of lie yeah. that gets told. And I think that's the basic point of the film. Both versions. There was a 1970s television version made with uh, the lead character being uh, I forgot his name. Richard Thomas is that John Boy from the Waltons. I think that might be. Yeah. Uh, was he playing the Paul character? Yeah, okay. and it, it didn't. It came and went. Uh, didn't get a lot of fanfare. Um, but that's the point of the film the the propaganda of war. Yeah. The 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 ego, the chest bumping of different countries that might engage in war. Yeah. And then the realities of war. Right. And when you see the realities of war, you begin to question what is it <clears throat> war? Good God. What is, what is it for? Yeah. Uh, and you know the song hits it right on the head because the criticisms that I've read of this movie are that the uh, added storyline of yeah. the powers that be trying to negotiate armistice uh, is I guess the real criticism is it wasn't in the book and I don't mind it at all yeah. I think that it, it it creates a a time stopwatch kind of yeah if we can just get to armistice right then all of this killing that we're seeing in brutal oh, yeah. fashion will stop yeah. well that's it's, what we think you know what I, I, I you're right like yeah. it sets up this almost like a false hope in me as a viewer this is me me just yeah. saying my own experience where i'm like okay because I haven't. I hadn't read the novel. I hadn't seen the 1930 version. I didn't know what Paul's fate was going to be, and or the or his group of friends for that matter. And so as I'm watching it, I'm like, okay, well maybe this is going to show me, you know, how right up until the closing moments, their life is on the line. But maybe somebody, and you know, spoilers, folks. Nobody comes out of this yeah. thing alive, <laughs> yeah. um, except for maybe that last new recruit who shows up, who we you know kind of have a moment of exchange yeah. between Paul and him, but. You know, it's it's that crazy, yes, the clock is ticking, and we're winding things down. The German uh, government realizes they have not, they, there's no way to win this. They, yeah. they, they need to get out. They're and, trying and to head, negotiate. That head official in charge lost his own son in the war. Right. And really has is presented as having this concept of let, can we stop the death now? I yeah. mean, we're not going yeah. to win. Right. We're not there. There will, well, be, no, he, while there will be no pivot while they're waiting. Right. Cause he's given this 72 hour window where he, you know, we need your decision. We need you to sign off on our terms for how that, you know, the allied forces represented right. by the French are saying, look, this is the way we'll do it. And it's basically Germany, you go back and you gain nothing. And, and, you know, so it's, it's them having to accept defeat we win, essentially. You lose. Um, and, you know, in that interim, he, the Erzberger asked, like, okay, can we just have a ceasefire while we're working this out? And they're like, no, until you no sign on this line. Yeah. Exactly. Well, the comparison, too, of, like, uh, what was, how many hours do you have? Like, 72, 72 hours? Thought, yeah. The comparison of seeing that, I think it worked as a good tool to see how many lives mm. are lost in that amount of time. Right. It's like he was saying, too, it shows you how how th those little gaps in, in all this bureaucracy going on, like, 
means a lot of human deaths. Yes. And for you to, to kind of see the, I guess, the government part of it and then to see it on the battlefield, like, that like that many soldiers dying while they're trying to yeah. make this, I guess, a peace. Or, yeah. Or, which agreement, makes it all the agreement. more gut wrenching, yeah, right? Yeah, because you're yeah. because at that point you're you're like, look, the government knows this is over, but in in all practical terms, this is over. We cannot win this. It's just a matter of working out the technical yeah. details of how this ends. But in that time, you're right. We watch the majority of the characters yeah. we're following it's a cinematic expire. Tool too of like yeah. tension to me of like with your heart like kind of pulling the heartstrings like oh yeah. these guys like you said they're gonna get out you're kind of hopeful yeah but then we come to realize and then especially like both of us not knowing the novel or seeing the movie yeah that there's still that just the last arrogant push uh oh god yeah. that's it, that it, it, that is the biggest kick and that's something that, that was new to this film too that gets our kill our lead killed right a lead that effectively for me anyway i felt full sympathy and empathy for as designed by the filmmaker yeah yeah like i'm hoping the best for this boy right as another one of his friends gets killed right. as another one of his friends gets killed in a peaceful an exchange with the farmer when try, when, yeah, when they go back right, to steal eggs right. one more time just don't can we just chill and just be hungry for like six more hours and we'll be fine uh, but no, he gets killed when uh, the farm boy is, you know, comes back to get vengeance for the theft of, right. of the eggs. Right. The War is Horror film is nothing new, and we have seen some, I think, fantastic um, examples of it in recent past. Uh, the one that people go to over and over again, like almost it's you're unpatriotic if you don't tout this film's nothing but esteem for it, is Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. And the opening Normandy scene of Saving Private Ryan, incredible, incredible yeah. filmmaking. Uh, when you read how it was done, kind of, I mean, all the tools were in place, yeah. all the props were in place to do it, but shot um, in order from beginning to end. Yeah. It is incredible. Now, Saving Private Ryan loses me for some of the Spielberg sentimentality that gets attached, especially toward the end of the film. Uh, was I worth it? I understand that veterans really appreciate those scenes, but as a non-veteran, bad on me, I suppose, it, I, I, it, it seems it's a little too hokey. However, there's so much of that movie. I love 1917, uh, Dunkirk. Yeah. Um, these are great movies that show the horrors and the absurdities of everything like, that we're seeing. I grew up watching big spectacle war movies with my brother. And I've I've seen tons of them, but I also like the like in the shadows of war, like movies. Like there's this movie called Son of Sal. That's just it's about a guy who's taken prisoner and forced to burn, uh, I guess fellow Jews in in oh, Holocaust okay. and stuff. And he's just trying to find somebody's kid. Like little things or stories of like that aren't maybe directly on yeah, the, on the yeah. battlefield. You know what I mean? So like I, when it comes to war movies, it's like this depressing. Huge encompassing. Well, well war is a <laughs> cinematic well, universe. I mean, war movies are immediate conflict. I mean, well, that's why yeah. they work so well. And it's worth noting that not all war movies are anti war, right? Some movies are yeah. about the valor of yeah. war and the glory sure. and, the, and, you know, the people overcoming incredible obstacles yeah. to win the battle. And, you know, so, you know, there, there is that strain of war films that actually seem to almost celebrate, uh, at the very least, celebrate the ability of forces with the right mix of uh you know collective uh you know togetherness and uh the in the right kind of usually moral fucking compass John behind Wayne them oh, fucking yeah, yeah. yeah no it, it, absolutely yeah. you know that, that sort of put these war heroes on a pedestal which yeah. you know war is how and by god those people who have done it 
and been able to overcome. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that we needed to push back the Nazis, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, th- I think we we generally, mostly, <laughs> I say that, and there's probably somebody listening right now who's like, well, I don't know, Dave. But, you know. Kanye fans. Yeah. But but you hear what I'm saying? Like there yeah. are there are war maneuvers that I can support, and that okay, the the alternative seems unacceptable. Like we mm-hmm. can't let the Nazis take yeah. over yeah. all of Europe or even yeah. you know the globe and, and and do that. So so we need to do that. But in general, my sentiments lie much more with the anti-war film in general. You know what, what you were talking Private about, Ryan. Joe, Saving Private Ryan. The, right. This one here. Where, you know, to me, the the very idea of war, especially when you go into that sort of human individual level, which is what this is, right? It's like a group of friends coming out of their, you know, whatever it Mm -hmm. is, boarding school to go serve their army under this pretense of you're bringing glory to the fatherland and, you're you know, you're, you're doing this really important thing. When in reality, what they're doing is is they're going into trench warfare, which is some yeah. of the most sort of deadly and disgusting uh, conditions that you're ever going to have to face. It, and and so seeing that, and it's interesting, you know, you brought up 1917, which um, same, same I, war I liked. We did, did we do 1917? We I, did. We did. Okay, um, I like that film. I hope I said I Amazing liked it on film. that podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And and you know it had its sort of technical element that that I think you know with that like continuous shot thing that it was going yeah. for, which I, I think was wonderful the and made dark, sense. The dark imagery though too, like where it looks like they're in hell. Yes. Uh, when they're running through the building. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> it was. And yeah. it was really, really well done. But it was also like very narrowly focused in that it was focused on that mostly that single character yeah. who we're with yeah. the whole time. This one, even though Paul is the focus in a, in a big way, we're seeing him in that mix with that small yeah. group of, of friends. Um, you know, the, the cat who they meet, the, the older soldier yeah. who's, you know, kind of been in it a couple yeah. of years and he's, he's shown him the, the relationships. Ropes. Yeah. And, and you get these like sort of more meaningful relationships there that I think did tug, especially his relationship with cat, I think became a big draw for me. Cause I did, I, I felt like both the performers, Felix Kammerer and Albrecht Schuch, uh, I think they did really great jobs with those characters, and and sometimes that's harder for me to assess when it's a film in a foreign language. I'll just be blunt because I'm looking at subtitles and not yeah, expressions. Yeah. But there's a lot of time in this movie where we're getting fairly close up shots of their faces, and we're just seeing them kind of thinking and brooding, and it. And so I feel like I, those characters came across through those performances in ways that I was. I was really pleased by. I thought they were. I think it, also if you're used to subtitles, you may kind of have a better range of, yeah. of like catching emotions right. in, in performance. I watched the English dub. I'll be honest. Did you? And I did. I considered it. I was never distracted. I thought the voice acting was great. Mm. Um, I know that's a cheat, and I'll, I will admit that's a whole. Other I will episode. admit that I did. <laughs> I can talk about it in after hours if yeah. y'all need to pull out a couple. I don't of know. There's there's, and, there's and, so and, much and like me. emotion. I feel like in the actual actors uh voice performance yeah. but i've i've done it on a few things but i know that it's it's yeah it's like sacrilegious yeah so i try not to do it so much there is, I, I, i'm i'm with you though i think i and that that is really because i understand that certainly these days i get distracted when viewing regularly especially if i'm watching at home which yeah. i was this was on netflix yeah. um and if i turn away and i don't catch the subtitle yeah. and i just hear the dialogue and it's in german then i miss that yeah. line i I don't, I don't get that but 
I think what I gain in terms of the delivery, the emotion, it usually is worth it. Yeah. There is a scene in the trenches where a where tanks roll over the oh, trenches. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, it is that scene in particular that I will highlight as some of the reasons why I think it got nine Academy Awards. If this wins... Nominations. Thank you. Let's be clear. If this wins cinematography, <laughs> sound, production design, visual effects, uh, hair and makeup, or score, I'm, I'm not, I will have no heartburn. Uh, however, I would if the Academy is going to play the game where... I know that it didn't exactly work out like this, but it tends to. We're going to put one international film up there. This was our, our, our spot in my world, mm. you know. Um, I don't think this is as hard a sell as RRR, a three-hour Indian action film. That's, that's a hard sell for a lot of American audiences. I promise you that it's worth your time. Uh, this one, a German remake or new version of the 1930 classic All Quiet on the Western Front gr gritty, brutal war drama might be even a tougher sell, but I'm going to wholeheartedly suggest that people uh, invest the time with this movie. I, I have no problems with this movie at all. I thought it was wonderful, and I'm really curious now to watch some more of Berger's work. Because Were people surprised? Was that like the general reaction to... to if you follow the stuff, it, it began gaining steam as something like, that needed like to be considered. Historically, like it's, a, it's based off of a, a well-known novel. It's already a popular old movie. I feel like that's right up there for Oscars for me. Yeah, like, I still thought that... Well, I, think, I don't think also, a lot of people put their eyeballs on it yet. That's the maybe the surprise was that it wasn't a, a big runaway Netflix mm. hit. I, I agree. I think... You know, and I hadn't been watching what the like sort of the odds were right, be right, before right. it leading up to the it. Game. All I all I knew is okay. Here, the, I knew it was in the mix. I knew it was one of mm -hmm. those films that was had that kind of respect mm -hmm. and attention. Um, but honestly, I thought okay, shoe in for international or is it international feature that we're calling yes. that category now? Not foreign language film. Um, I thought shoe in for international feature. Maybe you'll see it get a couple technical nods, but the fact that it's up for best picture, the fact that it's up for best cinematography, the fact, you know, th that surprised me. And I think for most people, even those who were following it more closely, the fact that it got nine nominations, I mean, it's right up there with Everything Everywhere yeah. and uh, w w what's a couple of the other, like uh, Banshees, yeah. that, you know, the films that are getting like close to double digit yeah. nominations. I think that it's in that group is is somewhat of a surprise, and and it put it on a lot of people's radars yeah. that way, and and I think that's a good thing, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think when it, when well, a film do like the re -releases this releases in theaters and everybody kind of like, I think that your audience probably doubles, yeah. if, if if not like, you know. yeah. And this is one that I, you know, again, I I don't think it ever played on a screen here. It will because our local uh, Century Cinema, which yeah. is the Cinemark chain, they do screenings of all the best picture nominees in yeah. the week or two leading up to the Ac academy awards i would go see it in theaters i yeah, would too would this is like of all the one because i've seen i think most of the others other than uh tar yeah. right um but I, th anyway the, so with like maybe one or two exceptions i've seen most of the others yeah. on a big screen this one though i think would have been a great one to see. Yeah. I think that epic scale yeah. of the film would have really benefited on oh, yeah. that big screen. And, and there's there's nature shots. There's like cutaway mm. nature shots. Yeah, which just the color of it though. Is yeah, so... which to me is like 
rather than enjoying what God, yeah. whatever, has given us, yeah. whatever, <laughs> rather than enjoying the natural beauty of yeah. this earth, we are doing something different with it, with our time right. and resources. So let's just remind people what the um, opposite of war is, yeah. which yeah. is just the just the, gorgeous use of our land. Yeah, the depth in 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 the scenes like where he's in the mud and he's just caked over yeah. the mud, yeah. like. Uh, but also how like it's almost desaturated to me like most of the film is yeah all, all like the battlefield stuff just seems so like the color's been kind of drawn back a little bit rather right. than like your like big epic war movies that have like fantastical technicolor looking right stuff, like right because it's uh, it's the theme is war as hell yeah like, it's like, it's muted bats, it's yeah, just scorched yeah. earth it's you know overcast skies burning buildings yeah yeah it very very uh packed with despair yeah. it's like you, yeah, you just yeah, yeah. like especially all the battlefield imagery and then the contrast of yeah. being in this luxurious train car where you know where the the diplomat is yeah. sitting and and having his you know sort of meal while he's talking over whether or not they're going to sign or the general in his you know grand dining room where you know he, he's there so it it hammers home just how stark yeah. that divide is one of my yeah. favorite uh genres of punk <laughs> is uh is uh my my buddy Rob uh, my band member now he kind of like showed me the world of DB punk, and most of the themes are about like destruction, the world ending, war, war is hell, like like anti government, anti military, like, but but just all about the starkness of war. And mm-hmm. so for me, I love you know listening to a good album that's all about just like casual. It talks about the casualties of war. It talks about. You know, our government putting us uh, money over us, like stuff like that. Capitalism, like, so this movie is is it, it's really sad, but for me, it's just I'm just drawn to it so much. Like, yeah, I enjoy the it. horrors of war and like, I how enjoy far it they go as much as you could enjoy. Yeah, it yeah, 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 yeah. It yeah, it's weird to it, say it, that. it's it's impressive to see it pulled off. It's it it's a to me it's a, it's a reminder that already fits with how I think about war, and my hope is that. More people see it and come away with that feeling, and 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 we, and more and more of us sort of adopt that. Okay, as Joe was reading there, um, you know, the idea that look, if everybody was to see this, if everybody was to really take home its message, we wouldn't be doing these things because yeah. we'd realize how ridiculous they are, and 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 how little they ever really seem to gain, um, especially in modern times with the kind of modern warfare that we yeah. have. You know, I would feel drone uh, attacks, baby. What's that? Yeah, oh yeah, right, drone right. attacks. I would feel uh, bad if I didn't mention Starship Troopers because of this. Like the idea that like, <laughs> how that movie was taken so wrong into what what they were trying to say with it. Yeah, and I felt like it was very much an anti. Like, well, and that yeah, I agree with you. And yeah. that but that one's doing it through like satire. Yeah, yeah, know, which, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which definitely, is funny definitely. and can be read differently by different audiences. Yeah. And so that this one is not satire. This one is as dry yeah. as possible. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of its its uh, delivery, but I think it maybe sort of, it's the bros that like see American movies that are like fuck yeah, like yeah, but, you know, yeah. Like, like RoboCop was mis yeah. mistaken too. Well, no, that's that's I I think satire has that double yeah. edge where yeah. like if you decide to read it earnestly and you like the bad behavior, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then yeah. okay, yeah. then you then yeah. you can have that, which but you, can be said for like Scarface and stuff too. Yeah, like, yeah, in all gangster aspects. films yeah. in general. Yeah. 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 yeah, absolutely. The romanticizing of of those lifestyles, yeah. Yeah. People take it the wrong way. Uh, but this one would be really hard to remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really You're not going to have like a poster of the main character <laughs> in your room. But they did say, they, I will, you know, again, I do think the performances here are strong. The 
the the sense of bonds between these characters yeah. i think feel real to me the moments that they do share like the the first uh, raid of the farm and actually getting the goose and bringing yeah. it back and yeah. sharing it there's a moment of true like and it, and so there's almost like a glimmer there where it reminds you okay yeah the war can forge these kind of bonds yeah. between people that's a real thing and i think you know somebody who's a veteran watching this would at least be able to see like yeah like that that's my experience but hopefully stay for the oh yeah but where did it really get them yeah, what, what yeah. did they really gain in doing that like i, I don't want to delegitimate anybody and how they've had to bond in that yeah. because i think people are thrust into these yeah. things without any power and any sense of being able to control them um but nonetheless you know where where they actually lead us the landscape to they're in yeah place, i can know? meet friends drinking beer or coffee and not have to go to war with <laughs> you to have a bond yeah right or or coming onto a podcast with yeah you. That's yeah exactly exactly it's and, much more preferable and sharing drinks which yeah. uh you know you could do worse than uh, going for some uh, 375 year old recipe German beer, I think, right? It smells delicious and tastes delicious. Yeah, it I was doing a, doing a little research while we were wrapping it up there. It's the, the this Polliner um, Salvatore is the gold standard when it comes to the Doppelbach or yeah. Doublebach. Um, the story goes that the Polliner monks of the Nudic monastery were like many in their day very skilled at making beer the their double bock was famously served instead of food during lent and envied by the commercial brewers in this area everyone strives for this recipe mm -hmm. when they're making the doppelbock this is the gold standard yeah. so that being said by reputation what do you think I mean, Josh has already said this is this is a delicious beer. I mean, this isn't box or or double box, double box, are not the style that I'm always reaching for, but I can appreciate it when it's done well. And this, like you said, it's the gold standard. It, it's that for a reason. Got great caramel notes in there. That multi base, totally it, not. It, out of proportion, it's not overly sweet, but there's enough there. Makes it so drinkable. Um, I, I think, you know, the, the little kiss of hops there you get, it helps kind of, you know, I, right at the end of my sip, it kind of like cuts off that sweetness in a nice way that gets me ready for my next sip. I, I think this is one of those beers that deserves that kind of place in the pantheon of, of beers. Um, I, maybe I'm overstating it, but I think like all quiet in the Western front, this is a classic of the genre. It's a classic. <laughs> it's winning the Oscar, the night, the, the 1400, whatever it was when it started. <laughs> is Top Gun up for the best? It is. It uh, is. No, Top Gun is going to fucking win. It's going to, it's going to be like, I, I, think don't, it's gonna I, do I don't think I've so. I've never seen Top it, but I feel like it's, it, it got enough hype. Top Gun and Avatar made the most money. So, mm -hmm. and, and they're Oscar-y enough. Yeah. To, to be in that top 10. Uh, I, the problem with beer in a movie as one of the co-hosts is that when you look for and consume the gold standard as often as we do, you can then be put off by other of the same style as mm. being inferior. Um, the Shinerbach, you know, if, if, like I said, was my college, late college beer as I tried to do something more than a Miller Lite or a Bud Lite or a Keystone yeah. Lite. 
and I either burned myself out on it or my palate got better as I went along to where when I taste the Schönerbach now, it's just not quite the same in flavor. But then when you come back around, I know that that's not a double, but when you come back around to something like this, which is made with care and love, you can just tell, you're reminded why the style is as popular as it is uh, in places overseas more than America. But fans of German beers are lift a glass. This is fantastic. Yeah. I always see the double buck or the double buck, and I never knew what it was. And so if, if that's kind of an idea of what it is, I'm now if, when I'm kind of getting a custom six-pack, I'll definitely grab grab some of those or anything that, that yeah. says that. And, I never knew what it was. You know, right around 8%, it's, it's yeah, value it's for empty. your dollar. It's yeah. value yeah. for your dollar, folks. This was the, And this wasn't a super expensive six-pack. I mean, it, And this is something that you're going to find in any Everywhere. good beer yeah. emporium mm-hmm. is going to have this stuff on the shelf. So Lovely. Yeah, uh, great way to start off the episode. Um, you know, a film that I, I think all three of us agree is deserving of the praise and the attention that it's getting. Um, it'll be exciting to see what what kind of uh, awards it actually it and and we were gonna just recount very briefly. It has won some things already, some Critic Society awards. It's up for a lot of British Academy Film Awards. So. I think this is one that we are we haven't heard the end of. There's still going to be some buzz going on for a few weeks. So if you haven't checked this out, get there and see it. We're going to come back from the break. We're going to talk about a second film that's also available on Netflix that also has a award nomination and award. We're on nomination. Netflix, but we're moving to Mexico. That's right. Um, and uh, and and see what we think of that one, which has a very different kind of. Uh, <laughs> theme to it <laughs> and, and I don't think we could even ascribe a genre to it but maybe we'll try when we get back from the break and we're, we're back, back. Good one there. All right. Um, so we, we're, we're moving around the globe here, right? We, we started out in Germany uh, with the first half of the episode looking at All Quiet on the Western Front, the 2022 uh, adaptation of, of the uh, classic novel. And now we're moving into something that is an original uh, screenplay mm-hmm. and and how original a screenplay this is, folks. Uh, the, the, well... Let's not spill the beans here. Let's get some beer in our glass before I get to talking about... Well, let's just say that it's this film is directed by one of the preeminent Mexican directors. So right. it was well, time well, to go... One to of the, the three kings of Mexico these that's days, right. I would say. So it is time for us to go to Mexico for the beer. But you asked before we got started, Josh, how did we tie these two films together? And we did it with the beers... Because we're drinking a Munich Dunkel style, <laughs> <laughs> made in Mexico by the largest, you know, Mexican brewery there is, Grupo Modelo, S.A. de Sevilla, uh, out of Nava, Mexico. They are also responsible for Pacifico and Corona. But we're having the Modelo, wait for it, Negra. Now, not the Especial, which is uh, a lighter lager. This is a darker lager from them, and it's my Mexican beer of choice if I'm confronted with the, the usuals that you find at a Mexican food restaurant. Yeah. Because longtime listeners of the podcast will know the rice lager just ain't my jam the, that you'll typically find in your Mexican beers. So if uh, if this is in front of me, it's what I'm going to get. And when I went through a 
um, Michelada phase. Oh yes, this was my preferred, the darker. The darker, really? Yeah. I don't know if I've done a darker one. Yeah. So yeah, I usually go with the, with the lighter lagers yeah. when it when it's uh and and sometimes I'm not the scared to beers. try it though. I would definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now that Joe said it, I, and Modelo, I get the Modelo uh, Micheladas like that are prepackaged and they're, they're just so spicy. Are yeah, they? They're so spicy. Yeah, There's, but they're really. Tasty. Local alert. There's a place called The Barn, which is, uh, they do these uh, micheladas where you can take it away and they'll give you, in Texas, yeah. the law is, I just got back from New Orleans, I'll talk about it in after hours, but you can walk around with beer, mm-hmm. you can do whatever you want to with alcohol in New Orleans. You can butt chug a funnel on the, <laughs> yeah. on the street. <laughs> Didn't see that this time. But in, in Texas, you're not really allowed, except for very specific places in Texas, uh, to walk around with a beer. You have mm-hmm. to drink it. There's a sign at the at the door of the bar I'll yeah. finish your alcohol before you leave no alcohol allowed in and um, so they'll give you a closed up beer but yeah. then you get home and you pour the beer into what they've given you the michelada part with like a pickle popsicle and mm-hmm. shrimp and a piece of bacon and I mean it's like a meal in a glass yeah. I highly recommend it. <laughs> it gets pretty wild. I've seen some wild like Michelin. Yeah, I've at seen. There, uh, well, we're getting real local. Yeah. Maybe we'll talk about it after. <laughs> there, there's a place locally that I'll see occasionally. They'll like post pictures of some of their uh, insane uh, creations. Yeah, yeah, that like I mean I think they have like whole small chickens yeah. on, on the side <laughs> yeah. of the glass. I mean, yeah. Wh- wh- yeah. Where do the, we... this Modelo though? It seems like a sleeper for a lot of people because I've constantly see people looking for like cases of this or like oh yeah they are like somebody told them and yeah. they they'd only drink but it's a, it's typically malt forward yeah. so i yeah. can't wait for us to talk about it after we talk about the film that brings us to mexico david what are we doing this second half? so so i said you know we're, we're looking at a film from Ooh. Ooh. one of the Oof. three kings uh of of mexican cinema these days and, uh, you know, we, we certainly have given love in the past to uh, Guillermo del Toro. We have. Uh, Recently who, who with his Pinocchio. one of those uh, kings. And Alfonso Cuaron, I don't know that we have... I think there's a theme to the shows I've been on recently. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we got to bring another Mexican king in. Um, but, the but for real, the fourth, and, and we have not really covered his films in the past... Um, in Aritu here, um, who who you know, I first became aware of back in the two thousands with Amores Peros. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, more recently, I think probably Birdman was was sort of a, a big deal for him. Obviously, in terms of yeah. the American viewing public. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So you know, Alejandro Inaritu, um, one of those three kings, and here with a super ambitious film yeah. called Bardo. We could just call it Bardo. I'm, or I'm only going to call it Bardo, but it does have a very pretentious We can title. tack on <laughs> False Chronicle of a Handful of Truths, yeah. um, which is a reference to a film within the film that we hear about somewhat and, and maybe even we're kind of seeing at some level yeah. uh, play out. Um, but, but nonetheless, uh, the basic premise here being that there is a, a Mexican journalist who is relocated to the United States. His name is Silverio, uh, Silverio Gama. He is living in Los Angeles with his wife and family, his teenage son in particular, Lorenzo, his daughter's away at college. And, you know, we come to understand this stuff piecemeal as the film goes on because it's not delivered to us in a very linear fashion. You know, we, we can get into some of the interesting set pieces of this because we open the film with 
somebody who seems to be we're, we're getting their point of view as they are sort of jumping and flying briefly mm -hmm. and then through a landing desert. in through a desert mm -hmm. landscape like a shadow right yeah. yes yeah, yeah, it's, like yeah. A, it's like a really great we're gonna talk about the great shots in this yeah. film but it's a really great drone shot just yeah. kind of yeah. slowly moving through the desert while a the shadow of someone behind camera yeah. is jumping higher than a human yeah. should be able to jump and i think finally jump so high that they don't come down yeah. Yeah. then right. Sorry to interrupt, David. No, that's the okay. next shot. Very tough to summarize. The next story. scene. Mm -hmm. Hello. The next scene is a. <laughs> you've got your keyboard wet. <laughs> uh, is a scene in a hospital where a woman appears to be given birth. It's shot from the side of her. So it's a shot we've seen before yeah. of the doctor delivering a baby. And then you see the legs kind of, you know. You see her legs up, and you see the legs of the baby coming out. And he's like, all right, one more, one more. And you, we've seen this so many times in films. In fact, I was present for the birth of my child and every both children, and both of them came out during this process. But what he says, one more, one more, and he's putting the child back in. <laughs> then she's walking down the hall with her husband, and the umbilical cord is stretching from the... Delivery room, room, delivery yeah, room, yeah. down a hundred foot you hallway. You forgot, you forgot the best part of it though is that the baby wanted to Has return decided to go right. back because yeah. the world it is wasn't shit. time. Yeah, yet. The world sucks. I forget. Yeah, I, forget. I think it's the world shit. Like, yeah. The, Did the, you the, deliver? The, no, he wanted to go yeah. back in. So, so this is. I mean, this is where we're starting. My the film. yeah. My point. It's an example of we're about to see something slightly yeah. absurd, something okay. slightly surreal, and very surreal. Yeah. very surreal. Absolutely. So yeah, it it establishes very early on that we're in sort of a dream space of mm -hmm. sorts, right? They, they, like Sometimes. we're seeing images of dreams. Well, that's not, but absurdist. <laughs> um, but but what we have is you know a, a, we come to learn through the film is there is this journalist Silvio, his family, he's. Um, He's got projects that he's interested in. He's about to be given an award, we think, um, and, and an American award, an American yeah. award for, for him as a Mexican journalist. Yeah. Which there's a lot in there about American Mexican relations yeah. um, in terms of you know they're giving him this award because they, they want to sort of make a gesture to mm -hmm. the you know to better um, relations between the the countries. Um, Amazon is supposed to be buying Baja. Yeah. There, yeah. <laughs> there's like all of these. There's so many moving parts and different yeah. different things being covered. From, right. But even from the guy playing the the journalist and the, and the director. Yeah. He literally has like the group of, of uh, I, which I took as the fellow directors thinking it was like Guillermo del Toro and uh, uh, Corrión. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the, like you said, the kings of Mexico. Like yeah. literally he puts them in that film with him. Yeah. You see him getting criticized by like people with like uh, what's the new station guy or he's he's more of like a talk show uh, yes yes kind of yes thing. Like, uh, the... in promotion for his old film yes. and in promotion for receiving this award he's doing like a um, media circuit yeah he is uh, going to parties in his honor and as they all unfold it becomes more and I'll say more and more surreal it, it continues a high level of surrealism yeah. throughout almost like he walks through life in a dream state is the way I kind of took yeah. it. And, you know, he is a, fil a Mexican filmmaker with success in America. He looks, the, the actor that plays Silverio, help me, David, I don't have my computer open. Uh, Daniel Jimenez Cacho. Looks remarkably, remarkably like... Um, Inaritu. Yeah. yeah. To me, it's just screaming, 
I'm making a a film about that's largely autobiographical yeah. in theme. Yeah. I'm struggling with my success in America as a Mexican yeah. filmmaker. I'm mm-hmm. got one foot in two different countries and don't exactly know where my loyalties yeah. lie any longer. Uh, Amazon is buying Baja. Netflix has purchased me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. that's that's mm-hmm. what I'm reading here. Yeah. And you tend to see yeah. as filmmakers get the power to be able to make the types of films that this one is. I'm thinking Woody Allen has done this kind of mm-hmm. thing. I'm thinking Spielberg with the Fablemans. I'm thinking like I'm going to tell my story. I mean Fellini. Yeah. Fellini, yes. with, yes. Fellini yeah. with eight and a half. I mean yeah. this is clearly. Well, this is, yeah. I mean right. clearly the, um, the two big filmmaking influences that mm-hmm. I felt I kept seeing again and again in this film Fellini for sure and Buñuel. Uh, mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I, I think the surrealism yeah. of Buñuel yeah. and and that sort of episodic approach like it's okay I'm gonna have a character just wander yeah. into this situation yeah. and you audience you're gonna go with it and, like and the it's Terrence gonna... Malick like it, the camera just turns well there's that too yeah. yeah yeah. but just the using CGI to do surrealism surrealism yeah it's amazing to me because it's like using technology that is used for like superhero movies which people may think you know obviously like Scorsese doesn't think it's cinema but then using, I wonder how he feels about Birdman though. That's a superhero yes. movie. Yeah, yeah. And and in the film he gets he gets kind of torn into by his peers by saying like, "Oh, you kissed your ass to the Gringos." And I think it's the director discussing like him winning for Birdman and yeah. how his peers felt about that, how his country felt about it. I think there's it. certainly a struggle here yeah. uh, that that um, he's having balancing art and commerce. I mean, yeah. very clearly yeah. because his previous film to this was The Revenant, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. So you got the biggest movie star in the world that gets asses in seats uh, with a much more linear, non-surreal. But he was doing smaller films before Birdman, right? Yes, certainly. Yeah. Be- beautiful uh, certainly. with yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. and uh, Babel. Most of them uh, Spanish. Yes. Yeah. But, but yep. see, the two films that you just um, referenced, Babel and Beautiful, and then if you have his cinema, uh, his filmography, Twenty One Grams. Twenty One Grams. Amores Peros was the Amor, Amores Peros was like. Hey guys, I'm here and I'm a filmmaker that you mm-hmm. need to watch. I mean, that film came on strong, certainly in the art house cinema world, but yeah. I mean, it was stunning. Yeah. Uh-huh. I have not been a fan of his much. I mean, it's just what it is, yeah. you know, not connecting with an artist yeah. since then. You didn't like Birdman? I didn't. Oh. And I, 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 I thought The Revenant had some incredible set pieces and parts. Yeah. And I think that it's I think what we're clearly seeing here is an artist as I was saying Mm -hmm. earlier like saying I'm going to make a film about being an artist and I'm going to fictionalize the idea but but it's not very fictional there's so many layers I thought like the 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 aspect of like a couple losing a kid or like having like a a because that's that's one of the the key pieces that he comes back to right coming back to that birth son that they them trying to figure out how to let it go so yeah. i was curious as to how much of the story was from his life mm-hmm. but that's covered in there i mean seeing the way his family is uh, interacting with him his son uh that conversation they have with breakfast like yeah going from emotional piece like that an emotional scene and then some weird crazy surreal where he's walking it looks like planet of the apes but with like a a, a old spanish uh like 
statue that's yeah 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 it's it's insane yeah it's like some crazy ripe like right which i guess later we kind of realize it's it's him in a coma right like right yes so let's just go there right i mean by the end of the film it's it's sort of revealed that this sort of um he he's because there's a very early shortly after we see the the jumping through the Mm -hmm. desert point of view shot we see this character uh silverio on a on a public transportation yeah. train, you know, in LA. Um, and we see him sort of with this bag of axolotls, uh, you know, the, these these amphibious creatures in a, in a bag of water. And the bag kind of spills out and he ends up going and, and that sort of sends us on this, you know, increasingly surreal adventure through these various moments in his life. Which is a part of his, his film that they're watching in the right. film. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. But but later on we see that yeah. same event repeated and we see no he had a stroke on the train yeah. and mm-hmm. sort of lost control and that's why this bag spills out and he doesn't end up swimming through yeah. this, you know, serv- you he just he's it, stuck yeah. on the train. Yeah. Somebody eventually, you know, tries to get him to wake up. He is unable to respond. He ends up in a hospital bed. He's in a medic uh, a yeah. medical coma. And, you know, his family is kind of visiting him. And so, like, the, the my assumption at that point is what we've seen play out is his experience of his own, you know, mental state while he's in this flashing. coma. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, like, yeah. playing through these moments in his life. Right. Um, Monumental moments, yeah. Thinking back on where has he been in terms of his career? What is he doing? How does it connect to his heritage? What, what, yeah. Has he given yeah. Has he given up? Because, well, like, you were saying artist, earlier. father, partner, like... It's artist, father, partner, Mexican citizen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's all these Mexican American, like, well, like the the, the airport scene. Oh, that was so. Yeah, I loved that scene. That was so great when 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 the military comes in there at the end. Just loved it because he's the scene we're referring to is you know he he's at the airport. He's coming back from a trip to Mexico that he's taken with his family and returning to the United States there home where they've been for over a decade 15 years um and the customs agent who's interviewing him that you know is insisting that he can't call it his home even though he has a a visa and he's you know like officially recognized and and he goes and speaks to a supervisor because he's you know upset right justifiably so and says like this man's telling me that i this isn't my home and i have a visa i'm you know this is my home kids there said yeah i shouldn't say that i want an apology and this guy can't muster an apology i mean so much in there about the the tensions between the american identity and mexican identity yeah yeah yeah. and when you are a king of mexican cinema Mm -hmm. and you are rarefied air yeah I think that you are taken to task by some opinions of Americans towards your homeland. Yeah. Yeah. And I believe that this is something he has struggled with in his real life. I, I, I have it, to be. It has yeah. to be. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, I had um, in the last few years with a, with my, my friend um, Carlos, who's from, from Mexico himself, uh, had like a reawakening of my culture, I guess. Like always felt like it was kind of like being a kid in I mean, in Corpus is South Texas, but still in America, you could kind of like, I don't know, assimilating like, and there's, I think there's a lot of like layers of assimilating for kids Sure. where I didn't learn how to speak Spanish. Cause I felt like maybe my grandma or my mom felt like it was safer to not right. have you yep. seen Mexican yep. at the time in the nineties. Like, so seeing a movie that's so prideful in its culture and willing to 
talk about the bad and the good. Like it mm. to me, it was a perfect film to watch. Like yeah. right now, that's wonderful for that. Like that's wonderful. I, I mean, well, clearly it's a. Go ahead, David. Well, I was just gonna say. I mean, this is such a brilliant film on so many levels. All the stuff he's weaving together. It's not an easy film. Yeah. Like that. that no, you know, no. I, I want to put a disclaimer on this. And I, I ended up watching this in two sittings, in part because I started it and I was a little bit tired to start. And I was, I was definitely into the imagery. I was, yeah. I was taken away by it. But there's, there wasn't the hook there. And until I got closer to the end, the third it, act, it wasn't all kind of coming together and for it all me does. in a way. But so I, I kind of had to take a pause at a certain yeah. point because I'm like, I'm just not taking this in the way I should. Art, you, you, had a, you had a Modelo day. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So, but I came back to it you <laughs> I, know, I, I talked the next over day. What did you just say? Oh, and I was saying art can be difficult. Like, like it doesn't sure. have to always be accessible. Right. Or, yeah, and, and just saying that when I was struggling, and again, pro- partly because I was tired, I paused it. Mm-hmm. I came back to it the next day. And w- once I got to that point, it was just it, things started pulling together in ways. And I saw why he had done what he had done mm-hmm. earlier yeah. and how all of it was kind of, and it's a film that immediately, as soon as it was, as it was done, I was like, I need to watch that again. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it, it feels like one of those films that um, if you give yourself over to it, yeah. if, if you go on this journey that he has laid out for you, mm-hmm. there's so much there because like you were saying, Josh, this is, yes, this is about uh, being a Mexican director who is trying to bring his work to another audience and having to suffer the the repercussions of leaving his sort of home culture yeah. to be part of this other culture. But it's also about being a father. It's yeah. about being a partner. It's about being uh, a friend. You know, it, artist, it's just yeah, everything. Yeah. I mean, there's so much in well, and it. Then, and then doing that, leaving your country and then being treated, told it's not your home. Like, mm-hmm. well, like And that's the challenges I think a lot of, a lot of immigrants face right. is never... In, in a, the eyes of a stereotypical American, you're never seen as like one of us. Or there, one of them. And yet like, you've yeah. lost the, the, the people. You pay taxes in this country. You pay you know taxes I mean? in this, yeah. And the, the people what from your from your uh, home country feel like you're a traitor to them yeah. in some yeah. ways. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you're, you, you have no it home It could be niche point. in that way because not everybody experiences, I no. guess, that kind of. But then there's the the parent aspect, the yeah. artist aspect, the just the Mexican aspect. Like, yeah. So I think, yeah, I think if you give, like you said, if you give yourself to it, you'll find something there for you. There's a lot to unpack. Yeah. A couple of things. Josh, you said art is difficult. At the beginning of every episode, we say that, the, that we are here to discuss the two greatest art forms known to humanity. Mm-hmm. And I believe that film is art. I, I, I really do. Film, cinema. Um, it's why I don't. I'm not hostile toward Martin Scorsese for some of his opinions about Marvel. They are art too, but there's, as we said a couple of weeks ago, David. There's, there's, there's a, a twenty course fine dining meal, and yeah. then there's a, a snack, and yeah. but there's room for both, and I like both. But and then you said, David, that. Um, Oh, I forgot what you said, David. But, <laughs> but when you said it, it was it, it, was, it was incredible. Journey. Okay, this, a journey. You said use the word journey. Okay. This is a journey film. Yeah, yeah. And where it appeal appears to be a surreal kind of level of nonsense at the beginning, mm-hmm. it kaleidoscopes all together in the third act, and all these little pieces that you've seen totally are made mm-hmm. sense of. Yeah. 
and you realize, in my opinion, that this is a artist struggling with his art, yeah. struggling with the notion that it is not uncommon for non-Americans to try to go to America to make it in the movies because that's yeah. where movies are made. Yeah. Hollywood is Hollywood is Hollywood. What the three kings of Mexico have done have, when they've won awards, mm -hmm. been able to say out loud, Viva Mexico, uh, it, I am Mexican. Mm -hmm. I'm just happened to be in the, the capital of the filmmaking world yeah. to, to do what I have to do here. But it probably has been a bit of a struggle. But I, that's why I don't think that Mexican nationals take anything away from them for going to the movie-making capital of the world to make movies, yeah. but they have so much pride in them for not losing yeah. what, you know, the, the roots that got them to where they are. I think and so I, when he, when oh, he comes sorry. back, it's okay, when he comes back and makes his movies in Mexico, yeah. in Spanish, now this one's got Spanish and English because they're moving between two countries, yeah. what a pride for the nationals that are watching one of their masters mm -hmm. make a film in their land and I think that that's part of what the struggle is for um, I can, why can't I think of why can't I say his name Inaritu 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 because the accent is over the eye that's the okay. one that you're supposed to hit hard okay I remember that from Spanish class <laughs> I mean you come you come a long way from having people imitate Mexicans in cinema to to multiple Mexican directors winning years. I mean, in, in the last 10 years, you have uh, Roma. Yeah, uh, which we did on the show, by the way. What's yeah. the space Part one? With space uh, one? Uh, Gravity. 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 Yeah. Guillermo del Toro, I think, uh, Shape of Water. Shape of Water, yeah. 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 Birdman. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, no, just, they've just, dominated yeah. in the yeah. last decade, especially. You're absolutely right. It's, it's, and, and for good reason. Yeah. I mean, there's an inventiveness. And I think that... So, you know, here, I think this is, of those films you've just listed, perhaps one of the more most challenging mm -hmm. in that I think it leans so heavily into the surrealism. You know, again, surrealism is all about like tapping into that dream space, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. I mean, Dolly yeah. was, you know, like the, those sort of dream images, these sort of weird, um, uh, distortions of reality that yeah. you see that like, or these exaggerations or these kind of, uh, and, and that's all here. I mean, the birth scene that we're talking about, this kind of like return to the birth yeah, canal yeah. that happens, the trailing of that, that later, I mean, we didn't even talk about the fact that, you know, in a slightly later scene when he's about to perform cunnilingus on his wife, yeah. the baby pops back out and it becomes part of the, I mean. Yeah, she says something. Sorry. I, yeah, I just no. Throw yeah. It in there. She says something in the hallway when he cuts it and she says, I guess he'll just eat me away or eat at me mm -hmm. and it's you know when you when you slowly start realizing like oh it's the representation of of them trying to cope with with having that baby die yes right and yeah. just i mean sometimes it's very in your face the movie about yeah. like what it's saying yeah but then that that one like that line for me just resonates yeah. for the, the whole movie i agree like because you watch how they're like even in the scene where they're trying to be intimate and it still holds them back like yeah like, oh it's just what a compelling way to tell somebody's story if it's mostly his story or how, how much of it is true but yeah. I, I was there's so many scenes where I was just glued to the TV with nothing to say yeah. and completely like in, in the journey yeah. Yeah. And yeah. this is my favorite of his films since Amores Peros yeah. it, it really is I mean I think he's trying to tap us into the unconscious of some like the, the, this sort of like grand 
sense of self and mm-hmm. all these different aspects in a way that I mean just very few films I can think of have ever attempted to do this is a hugely ambitious film yeah. mm-hmm. and I gotta say the visuals you were saying earlier Josh before we started recording you know how um, you, you had your daughter in the room a little bit and some of the yeah. the, the visuals there's some beautiful imagery here yeah. almost all shot on what appears to be like very wide angle lenses. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's just this very like sort of kind of distorts the yeah. landscape itself. Yeah. Like you feel him moving so, through this space, these spaces. Like a 360 camera at certain yes, points. Yes, it, yeah. it feels very yeah, all He's not scared of the fisheye a lot. Yeah. An, another one, I said, I'm, I am the broken record if, if we ever like make it, but like, man, I wish I had gotten to see this on the big screen yeah. and this didn't get the yeah. best picture nod. It's, it's got the nod for cinematography, which it fully deserves. And believe me, uh, if uh, Darius Kanji, he, that, that's a cinematographer here, if he wins, I will I will applaud. I will yeah. stand and applaud because I think this is a Crack marvelous— Crack a Negra Modelo and go. Oh, well, I'm going to be watching the Oscars with the six-pack just. Yeah. Of, of these. But just the, the film itself is is commentating on, on award shows. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. just and like the— what do the awards really mean? And, and the, the American award, you know— I think it's it's an input for for like the Oscar and he won the Oscar and like how his peers felt. Yeah. So yeah. if that wins an Oscar, it's just this cool. I'm so glad uh, you're meta. here, Josh. I, <laughs> yeah. I came into this liking this film a lot. I mean, sometimes this happens when we have a conversation about something that's really stirring. Yeah, now I love it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I. Good yeah. I was blown away. I mean, I I just watched it today. I started it like before. I think y'all had asked me, but yeah. I just knew that I wasn't gonna be able to to sit with it and like I think it I'm curious both of the films together how how long they are like at least five hours <laughs> well this, so this one is uh, two hours almost 40 minutes yeah. With, yeah, with, yeah. with the the credits and everything and the other one's like two and a two half, and half. It yeah. premiered, so it's almost five we're hours we're talking about cinema, yeah. five yeah, plus yeah. hours it, of cinema it here. premiered yeah. at Venice in a three hour 11 yeah, minute yeah they cut, cut it down oh really they, and it yeah. got oh, it, the man. reviews weren't great so they did some trimming yeah, and now it's down to its current running time, and the, the reviews have gone up. I think this is one of those. I read an article about how Netflix can only grow by um, reaching a, a more international market, which is why they've courted Quaron and why they've courted. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's why you're seeing a lot of international content yeah. on Netflix all of a sudden, like a glut of it recently. I've noticed. Yeah. RRR. I don't yeah. have a problem with it because as Bong, director Bong said, if we can just get over that one inch line at the end of the, yeah. at the bottom of the yeah. screen, yeah. you're going to introduce yourself to a whole new pun intended world of film. So yeah, uh, yeah. Th- this, uh, however, I, I don't know what the budget was. It looks expensive yeah. and you know, I, it just, question. I think that it's going to be, a bitter pill for some to swallow because yeah. it's just it. There is no e- sugary, easy medicine with this film. It is a work of art that's going to take a, a bit to digest. Yeah. yeah, and I enjoy doing that. Yeah, I I, I think this is one. I am superior good. to others. <laughs> is what I meant to say. I, I, I think this is one that my my. <laughs> Very my, subtle. My message to listeners is: give this one the chance. Do do do. <laughs> do yourself the favor and give yourself over to this one. There's an upsetting amount of people I've heard in my life who say they don't want to watch foreign films because they don't want to read. And if, yeah, and like he was mentioning what Learn Bong Japanese. Said, <laughs> I mean, I would love to. Yeah, yeah, that's a dream trip. But also, like, if you, like he, like he was quoting Bong, just get over that hump. And, and there's, 
literally just gonna the oh, floodgates yeah. for our oh, yeah. like open up from yeah. that point on. Absolutely, absolutely, Great. and and for me, it's just a good excuse to get to rewatch the film because mm -hmm. you you see it that first time, and if you feel a little distracted by it, yeah. but you love it, you're gonna go back to it, and you're gonna be able to focus a little bit more on the visuals and 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 all that because you'll already know what the dialogue yeah. is. So and, film and is great. Going. Yeah. So yep. well, I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. I was a little bit worried going into this because it's it it is it it is something that you have to like I said I've I've you know. You have to really give yourself over to it, and I think if you do, it pays off. So I'm glad that we all did. Um, the beer we were drinking, though, I feel like is one that's a little bit more of a crowd pleaser in the sense that I don't think you have to try that hard to find Negra Modelo to be no. um, the delicious. This is, I, I, I was saying to, to you both before, this is a beer that I remember having a lot in the 2000s. Mm -hmm. You know, when I, when I was on a student budget and uh, and and it was kind of a reliable import that I could like, oh, you know, it's a, it's a little nicer than my Miller High Life, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I can have something a little tastier. And lo and behold, after having taken a break for maybe a decade uh, from having it, it is just as good as I remember it being. The, the, maybe I'm just getting uh, soft in my old age here, but. I'm I'm so happy that I bought a six pack of this and I still have three of them sitting in my fridge yeah. right now. <laughs> <laughs> I was happy you brought you busted out three. I was like, oh, we each get one. That's that's great. Hey, at five point four, we can we can uh, all yeah, have yeah, a full yeah. twelve ounces. I think right? the Mexicano in me jumped out right away because I popped it open before we even like started the mics. Nice. <laughs> ales get all the sexy, right? There's yeah. light ales, there's dark ales, but there's light lagers and there's dark lagers. Yeah. And if I'm going to choose, I'm always going to choose a dark lager your your guinness is a dark lager you know it this is guinness is an ale well what did i say Stem, you you said guinness is a is a dark lager i just wanted to clear the record but what we had in the first half the oh, pollen or double doppelbach that was a dark ale a uh, dark lager that's, that's, <laughs> we've that's, had too much folks no, we've had too much no, hold on i'm trying to remember like why did i say guinness is a lager and i'm trying to think that i must have was referring to what we had before yeah but comparing those two, the completely different flavor profiles. Yeah. You know, this beer is a fantastic grocery store beer. And that I don't have a six pack of this around in my house is a crime. And I will no longer be guilty of it. Yeah. And I cut I, out that Guinness is a, uh, a lot of things. <laughs> no, I'm leaving know, that in. I'm I sorry. That's, that that's not the that's truth. That's good content. <laughs> I was surprised when I when <laughs> I when I did a small tour in Mexico with with my band um, that a lot of the beer we were given at at bars they gave it to us in urns. We're darker beers. Oh yeah, we're all more like on the yes. darker side rather than like your light yeah. Coronas. Yeah, they hate Dos Equis in Mexico. Hate it absolutely. Wow. Despise it. It's the number one beer in America. Tecate Victoria. Um, Pacifico and, and Modelo. Those are the those are those the were real the, the most we we drank, okay. and then they had stuff in urns at, at bars that we played at for us. And huh? Yeah, yeah, a lot darker beers though. I was I was huh. pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I yeah. like I enjoyed this a lot. I thought it was a great pairing. Yeah, this is you know it's fun, and I didn't think about it, but yeah, this episode is you know we had two dark dark lagers, um, more malt forward lagers. Yeah. That I think it are reminders to me about why those styles are really they they have a special place themselves. And to me, 
that I ignore them is to my own detriment. Like I, I need to go back there, and I'm, and I'm kind of surprised. Like I feel like we're getting stale on the American craft scene these days, folks. I, I know I'm not alone in feeling that that there's you know only so many. Like why don't I see more breweries like going in the dark lager direction? I think like you could do some fun stuff here with Doppelbox and and Dunkles and. It, it, and really impress some people with things that they thought they already understood, but that they just haven't had in a while and, and haven't had done well. But yeah. Well, guys, uh, th th this has been a great episode. I've, I, I've just, th these were two films that I was really excited to, to try out and that they both turned out to be as good as they are. Um, I, I couldn't be happier. So uh, I, I need to <laughs> remind everybody that this is not the end of things, folks, not in any sense, because the conversation certainly doesn't end here. The best thing about beer in a movie is that we continue that conversation on all forms of social media. You can find us on Facebook, on Instagram. You can join our chat on Discord under the name Beer in a Movie. The conversation continues. And, and we've had some people jump in there recently. It's exciting yeah. when, when more voices jump into that mix. So please keep keep coming. Um, we've also mentioned that we're going to extend this conversation ourselves in our Patreon subscriber only after hours bonus episode, which we do have a few public ones. So if you want to try it out, go go listen to some of the ones that we've made public. Last week's was there, but we're going to keep this one behind uh, closed doors here when, when, when we get into after hours this week. I'm telling you, go listen to last week's free episode yeah. and you will immediately uh, send us that five dollars because A, <laughs> you love us. Yeah. And B... Well, you, you'll love them, really <laughs> <laughs> but you'll like that we we got them on mic and and, and did their thing. Um, also, we know you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, but before you leave that platform, why don't you please rate us and leave a review? We hope you'll make it five stars so that the algorithm can do what it do. David, there we go and put us out there as an option for more listeners. You've just experienced another international episode of Beer in a Movie. Until next time. War. Ugh. Good God, y'all. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing.